During the coronavirus crisis and lockdown, Rabbi Katz will be delivering an informal pre-Mincha study session on Zoom every day at 6.50 p.m. If you're interested in joining, please send an email to rabbidkatz at gmail.com indicating that you would like to be added to the Zoom meeting, and you'll then be sent the link to access the Zoom learning session. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Motsi Yuntif, I guess. It's Thursday night here in Baltimore, and uh, I want to talk about the Parsha because, first of all, a bunch of people in Israel bugging me, they say I shouldn't do it on Friday, and second of all, I have a lot of college stuff to make up for tomorrow, and so I probably will be busy, too busy to get involved in podcasts. So let me take advantage of the opportunity now to say a few parting remarks about Pesach and mainly about the Pasha Shemini, which is coming up, and so forth. And I do want to mention that this uh, talk, this podcast is being sponsored by uh, my good friend Alex Fuchsman, who I mentioned a few weeks ago, in, uh, who lives in um, Elizabeth. And uh, it really, it's, and he's sponsoring in order to pay tribute to someone who in Baltimore uh, was killed not long ago, Josh Lewis. Uh, was a very beloved person in our community. And unfortunately, he was victim of a car crash and so forth. Then he was in a coma, and then he passed away not long ago. And in this environment, we, besides the tragedy of losing somebody, which is enormous anyway, the idea that you know families have to sit shiva without anybody being able to come, and even the funerals now are being done in bare-bones fashion. Here in Baltimore, the VOD has uh, we put out all these necessary draconian regulations, you know, who can come. It's all grapeside service that nobody can do there. I mean, even the Taharas, a lot of places are not being done. It's just a difficult moment. But uh, this is a human uh, sentiment over here, because Alex, who graduated quite a few years ago from high school, a student of mine, uh, wrote to me, and he said, and he, the other day, and he said he wanted sponsors for Josh Lewis, someone who made a big Rosham on his life, so aside from the fact that this is a person, if you're from Baltimore, you know who he was. He was a, a very fine person and had a lot of friends and did a lot for the community. Um, but he, Alex wrote to me that his brother was my rabbi signer or whatever, was a rabbi, my rabbi in Israel in the Vey 30 years ago. And when I came back, I met him through Josh Lewis and others and his family. And I went to his house over the years, and his house was always open when I... And and uh, in difficult times in my life, he was a good and genuine person. Haven't spoken to all these years, but these emotions find a way to come back. In other words, he felt strong enough about someone he hasn't spoke to in many years, made such a big rush in his life, helped put him on the right derech in life, that he wanted to pay this tribute to Josh uh, Lewis today, Yeshua Sean Ben Bloom. We all knew the name because we were saying tell him for him and davening for him because, uh, as I say, unfortunately, he was in this terrible crash. Some a bad driver hit him. And he was in a coma a while until, unfortunately, he passed away. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sad story, but it really gives you a tribute that someone feels strong enough about this. A boy who, who, who Josh impacted his life. I know many people, me, myself, and I, I know many people that Josh Lewis and his friends impacted and put teenagers on the right road in life. And I don't think there's a bigger uh, 
Chesed, that might be the, the, the right word. I don't think it's a big mitzvah than to take people at that impressionable age, the teen years, you know, especially the late teen, the teen years, where you can go to the right and go to the left, you can go up and go down, and anybody who gives you, through friendship and other way, a, 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 a nudge in the right direction is doing the biggest possible mitzvah, as we, as we all know. Uh, now, with that, as I said, we just finished uh, Pesach, um, which is always, you know, means, it, again, it's all surreal, just like you and just like me. You know, there's no shul. Usually in my shul, we have a Neil Sachag, which I'm sure many of you have also. And that always gives me the spur to kind of organize my thoughts about Pesach in general and the Sphere Homer coming up and obviously the relationship between Pesach and Shavuos, which is a fundamental relationship. I'm sure I said this earlier in some other podcasts, you know, but uh, from the point of view of American history, at least from my perspective, one is Manachay Rosenu, one is Matan Torosenu, correct? So one is time of freedom, the Jews got out of slavery in Egypt, but on the other hand, they didn't get the Torah until seven weeks later, or at least they didn't begin the process of getting Torah until seven weeks later, because that was a mess also, as we know. By the time it's over, the, the Torah was only given on, on Yom Kippur. But anyway, uh, there's a fixed uh, date of uh, 50 days between one and the other, and to use an American history uh, parallel, you can regard um, Pesach, Passover as being the American Revolution, and Shavuos as being the U.S. Constitution. Because in this country, it had a revolution against England, which was a long war of seven, eight years. But when it was over, the country was still very unorganized. They had 13 states, all were crawling with each other. It's called the Articles of Confederation, if you remember your American history of high school uh, or some other time. And uh, the U.S. was in a whole mess. Ad Kedekach, that a number of years later, four years later, after the revolution was over, the smartest people in the country got together and made the Constitution. And that put the country in the right mahalach. And uh, that's where America's been, been prospering ever since. So without the revolution, you couldn't have the Constitution. But without the Constitution, the revolution would have meant nothing. Same way here. Zaman is good, but without the Matan Torah Seinu, Jews would have wandered aimlessly and disintegrated. Uh, but Zaman Matan Torah Seinu depends on Chayr Seinu. God can't give the Torah to a bunch of slaves. So uh, it's a very interesting, you know, evolutionary process from the political science point of view. The first the Jews had to get out of physical slavery, and then they had to wander for a while, I guess, you know, like, like the uh, Americans did. And then finally, it culminated in getting the Torah, which put, kind of put them on the, on, the constitutional, on the constitutional level, as they said before. Now, at least that's how I always think of it now, and I find it useful. Uh, we just finished the last days of Pesach, which is all about the Kriyas Yamsuf. And I was just thinking about it, speaking at the table, whatever... And uh, it's always very interesting to me that the Kriyas Yamsuf is sort of like a, you know, it's a story that happened, it's a historical fact, but in the, the, the image, the metaphor is very powerful because the Jewish people had to cross, uh, in order to survive, they had to plunge into waters, and uh, the waters threatened them on the right and left, and somehow they made it through. And, you know, that's like the state of Israel today, for example, or maybe the Jewish people that we see all these anti-Semites coming out of the uh, woodwork, you know, we have no choice but to try to survive, and it means you go through a yamsuf, you jump in the ocean, you, you, you plunge ahead, and you hope that the waters, me, me, and small, that the waters on the right and left don't crash in on you, because we always have people 
trying to drown us or wipe us out from the right wing, and we also have people from the left wing, as we all know. A little homiletical, but it, it nevertheless is true. Let me put it this way. When Ben-Gurion, these guys, started the State of Israel back in 48, they basically said, we're, we're jumping in the water, and we hope the water will split, you know? And we hope we'll get to the other side and not be wiped out. And uh, it's 70 years now, but, you know, the waters are still threatening them in a high way. So you're always, every minute, uh, you know, praying for a miracle, uh, because Israel's just as much of a threat today as it was back in 48. I think we all know this. Now, um, but thinking about it a little bit, it's just very fascinating to me, especially in context of this week's Parsha, which is Parsha Shmini, which talks about the inauguration of the Mishkan, as we all know. Now, that means, as I mentioned the last podcast or two, I don't remember, that the Jewish people were at Harsinai, and then the, the, the word of God was transferred from the top of the mountain to the bottom, to the Mishkan. And it inaugurates on the Parsha Shmini. And, uh, of course, none of it. I mean, you get killed and all that. I mean, we know the story, but the, the, the main idea is, now for the first time in history, Jews have a central location. Now, this raises the question, as I just mentioned before, in the context of America, with the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution, what was that all about in American history? Uh, now, I know I have people listening overseas from different countries, but uh, I hope you have a general idea what I'm talking about, because uh, I can't help it. I'm speaking out of the American experience, because that's how I've grown up in this country. And basically, the, the great problem was to work out particularism versus uh, universalism within the national context. Uh, in the American system, it was the state's rights versus the central government's rights, versus what they call the federal rights. How do, how do you work that out? Because, you know, I live in a state called Maryland. If Maryland goes and does whatever it wants, it'll crash into other states if they're not coordinated somehow or other. On the other hand, Maryland wants to run things the Maryland way. People in this state feel differently about things, perhaps, than people do in California, you know. And people in Texas, uh, for example, feel more different about gun control than they do, I don't know, in Massachusetts and places like that. They're a liberal place, they're conservative places. The different uh, states, you know, sometimes have different cultures. So how do you do it in such a way that you allow the local state's rights, the local um, cultural way of living to flourish on the one hand, but at the other hand, in a coordinated fashion towards a central uh, national goal so that all the states are, are, are at least pointing the same direction in in important areas of life. Now, in America, they worked it out, as I say before, with the U.S. Constitution, which provides for what they call a federal system, in which there's the states do their thing and the national government does its thing. And then the Chalam does Machlokas from time to time, but, you know, so far they kind of worked it out. Uh, I didn't, you know, in the corona crisis, I'm not following all the news all the time, but who's got the time? It's Pesach. I saw Trump, the other was quarreling with the governors or something like that, you know, who's in boss, which is crazy. But I'm just saying that would be a manifestation I'm talking about. Now, what does it have to do with Klai Yisrael? It has everything to do with Klai Yisrael because we have the same business with the 12 tribes or the 13 tribes. Uh, for some reason, Yaakov and the kids, you know, the 12 tribes, the 13 tribes, however you break them up, is uh, understood by us in traditional Jewish thought not simply to be an, a, an accident of birth. You know, this guy had two kids and that guy had 12. You know, it's not like that, but it represents some kind of fundamental, fundamental theological um, or metaphysical reality. The different shvatim we understand represent different aspects of Kali Yisrael. So they're different. So they're states, if I can use that term. Just as like I said before, Texas is not the same thing in Minnesota. 
Similarly, Yisachar is not the same thing as as Ruvain, you know, and Shimon is not the same thing as Yechves uh, Ben Yomin or Ephraim. Uh, this is how it goes, and uh, this is for some reason the good Lord worked things out that this had a Jewish people develop along tribal lines, and we all know that uh, the slavery in Egypt came about through tribal rivalry. Those the brothers killed Yosef or tried to, and the rest of the story unfolded from that. And there never was, from the time the Shvatim were around, any kind of institution like a like a federal government, in other words, of centralization. And we all know the Shvatim when they when they ended up in, in Israel, each one was lived in a separate area. Okay? As a matter of fact, God respects that or wants I should say wants that because in the time of, up to the time of Beno Slavchad, you know, until, until the Jews entered Israel, lo hutru shvatim You're not allowed to marry from one tribe to another. So I'll say that was like a derisa. So that means the good Lord, for some reason, wanted Reuben to be Reuben, and Shimon to be Shimon, and Levi to be Levi, and so forth and so on. You know, Yisachar is one done enough to all you. So the, the, the separatist identity is, for some reason, hardwired into the Jewish metaphysical reality. Uh, and this is amazingly manifested to my mind with the story of Kriyas Yamsev, which we just celebrated. Because you know, I don't have to. T- I know you know this. They say that when the Jews crossed the Red Sea, running away from Egypt, they did it in twelve lines. Those each shavit walked its own way. There was a road for Reuven and a separate road for Shimon, and a separate road for you know Don, Naftali, God, Asher, Yosef, and Yaman, All that each one went its own way. And why? Why? Now, you could give me a very mundane answer and say, well, it was more efficient, you know, get them over quicker. Well, listen, baby, once you're talking about those kind of miracles, you don't have to worry about efficiency. You know, just pick up, add some fun at my table on, because, uh, you know, you're home. There's no shul or anything like that. So you got to bring the discussions of Yontif away from the public forum to the, you know, table. And uh, I pulled it at the Mayam Loes and... Uh, uh, what do you call it? You know, he has the 50 miracles. I mean, you know, Ma'am Lois is the Yalkut. I actually talked about Yaakov Kuli the other day when I spoke about the uh, Mishlam the other day. But, you know, he's a Yalkut. Now, see, quotes from right and left, in and out, over, under, around, and through all kinds of sources. Some are wild and crazy. Some are traditional, regular sources. But he counts on 50 miracles. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and one of them, of course, as we all know, is they all went in, 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 uh, in, in different routes. I mean, each one had a separate road. And uh, this is just remarkable because why did God make it that... Listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. Why did God make it that each tribe should have a different experience of Kriyas Yamsev? You know, wouldn't it have been wonderful to say all the Jews, regardless of who you are, all walk through the same road and the water split and they suffered this, you know, the same danger from the Egyptians and uh, they experienced the same salvation. It was a powerful unifying factor. And then, when they came back on the other side, eventually they broke up into tribes again and eventually settled in different areas in Eretz Israel and so on and so forth. But the, literally, the, the, the Messias of the Kriyas Yamsuf was a unifying one. No, I'm wrong. That's not the way it worked out. Uh, for whatever reason, Rabbanu Shalom wanted Levi to walk through a Levi way and Yisachar do through a Yisachar way and God to go through a God way which suggests that the roads were not identical. 
uh, of the past that crossed the Red Sea. Now, I wasn't there, but this is what it sounds like. So, just off the, I'm guessing, of course, you know, the Levy guys might have wanted it uh, with, you know, red roses on the side. And the guy from Yisachar might want it with, uh, you know, pink roses on the side. I don't know. You know, this one might this one might have wanted a Coca-Cola machine once they walk through. And the other one might have wanted, you know, Paris and, and whatever. Each Shevet, you know, went its own way. Now, they're all going the same directions. That's interesting. But each one did an experience in a different way. And it suggests, does it not, that when they say the Shifcha and the Yam saw the Rabbani Shalom and the Shechina, each one saw it in its own way. The Yisachar people saw it the Yisachar way, and the Zvulun people saw it the Zvulun way, and so forth. So they all had something in common, but it was distinct. And this comports with the famous Arizal that uh, they talk about all the time, the Babach is having the beginning of, of the, the Siddur, which is that the Arizal said that way back when there was a way, Nusach of Tavani. But each shavit had its own because it was it was conformed to its own um, what shall I say tribal soul, and so from a kabbalistic perspective, the tribe of Don had a certain way of davening. I'm just making this up. They put Bar Shamba before Hodu. I mean, you know, not that of course, but you know, something like that. Whereas another tribe it recited Ashrei and skipped the Bar Shamba because that's who they were. And another tribe, again, I'm not being literal. He said another tribe, you know said these prayers on Shabbos and, and those not. I don't know if they had formal prayers, not formal prayers. The Ramah says there weren't formal prayers before uh, the Anshayas Agdola, but it doesn't sound like the Rizal agrees with that. And so each tribe had certain ways of praying to God. Um, and each one was grounded in a metaphysical reality. So according to Rizal, if I was from Yisachar, then if I chose to dive in, in the Nusach of uh, you know Binyamin, my prayers don't get into heaven because there's like a tinoros. That's the language they use. You know, you have to have certain kavanas and certain uh, tfilos, whatever you call it, and go in a certain mahalach, a certain direction. I'm using the word spatial, even though I shouldn't, because I'm dealing with metaphysical matters, in order to get into heaven and have the prayers answered properly. And so, and that's how God set it up. So that means that the uh, separatism is hardwired, as I say before into the theological, metaphysical identity of what Israel means. Israel is an entity of 12 or 13 very distinct types. They're tribalistic types. And um, uh, Dari himself, the story goes, said that nowadays people don't know who their real shavit is, you know. In other words, I think I'm a coin. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not, you know. But if you're Israel, you definitely don't know who you are. Are you from Yehuda? Are you from Yemen? One of these other Shavuotim, who the heck knows? And so um, the story goes that the Ari said he will make the Shara Kolel, he'll, he'll, he'll have a certain, um, uh, he'll arrange the fields in a certain way, which is what they call Nusachari, you know. And not that anybody knows exactly what it is, but I'm just telling what they say. And uh, that way, he, he, because he's the Arizal and he has a super knowledge, so he can pick one Nusach that uh, is LCD, lowest common denominator, you know, that fits for all the tribes. But the Mashmos being that if you don't dive in his way, your prayers don't get to heaven. Now, leaving aside, you know, that, the, the, the base of that, but the notion behind such a statement, which is a fundamental Kabbalistic and even Hasidic uh, idea, the notion behind it is that there's a very distinct identity uh, among Jews. This one's uh, this tribe and that one's that tribe. And that's how God made it. 
Now, it's weird, but, you know, that's what he says. And, indeed, a fundamental idea is uh, that if you can take all these and put them like an orchestra, that all the tribes should be working together, it'd be like Mashiach time, you know, then, then, then it would have the most unbelievable effects. Uh, but, as we know from the story of Yosef, uh, it's, it never worked out like that exactly, and uh, the tribes are always quarreling and fighting with each other a great deal of the time. Uh, so you get the period of Shoftim and all that, which they sort of live, you know, in, uh, I don't know, in perfect harmony, each one did its own thing. But, you know, in a, in a, it, theoretically, you'd have a, 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 a leader who could not only preside over peaceful relationships among the tribes, because that's a negative getting along, but he could somehow or other unite all the Shvatim in a positive way and in a, in a single direction without taking away their independence. And uh, that would be the most amazing thing, bringing Mashiach time. As a matter of fact, I'm speaking to you right after Pesach in the Chutzlarz, and uh, the Haftor today was Mishayo, the famous 10th, 11th chapter of Isaiah, in which he said, Sar Ephraim, you know, that one of the signs of the Messianic era will be that the, the tribes won't quarrel. Right? The tribes won't quarrel. Meaning, this is sad what I'm saying. Just as it's so unbelievable that a lion will lie down with the lamb, or that a little child will sit on, on a nest of, uh, of, of uh, serpents, of snakes, and not be bit, so there'll be no quarrel among the tribes. I Meaning, it'll be an unbelievable miracle. Which doesn't sound great. It sounds like it'll be a nice nigla at uh, take Mashiach's side to bring that the Jews don't quarrel and fight with each other. All right, so we know this This is the world in which we live, correct? This is the world in which we live. Now, uh, I'll say it again. This is how God set it up. Not me and not you and not some bad person. And, of course, in Jewish history, it led to, so far, it led to disasters. The ten tribes, uh, you know, in, what's the right word, disappeared early in Jewish history, as far as we know. And, you know, where are they? Now, again... They could come back tomorrow. What do I mean when I say come back tomorrow? I don't mean in Atlantis or something like that. But now, with science, with all this uh, genetic stuff, could be they'll discover some genetic way, not in 2020, but in 2120, you know, 2220, in which you're able to tell who come the ancient Israelites and which tribe you're from and all that kind of business. I don't know. You don't know what I don't know. Uh, but it seems like the, the reconstitution of the tribes and the reunite, and the, not reuniting, but the uniting of the tribes in a... In a um, in a, uh, what's the right word, integrative fashion, that they're all formed like one orchestra, each one playing its particular role in one grand design, that's a messianic idea. That's why I say it's in the Haftarah today. That's a messianic idea. Now, why am I, what, what led me to think of all this? Tomorrow's Parsha, or, or Shabbat Parsha is Shemini, and you have Mishkan. The Mishkan represents the first institution, as far as I can understand, of a kind of centrality, a permanent institution of centrality uh, or uniting to bring the Jewish people together. Because everybody brings the same carbonola. You know what I mean? In other words, if you're from the tribe of Yisachar, you bring the same type of carbonola as if you're in the tribe of Yehuda or the tribe of Reuben. If you bring a carbon toda, for example, or something like that, doesn't matter what shape you're from, it's the same form. This must have been a radical idea way back when. This has been a new idea. Now, it put a lot of... Um, uh, uh, responsibility on our own and others because you're the referee, you get it? And uh, if the Kohanim want to operate the place right, it has to be, uh, you know, neutral umpire, you know, the, you, you know, you give the same treatment to somebody from this shavit as you give somebody from that shavit. 
That must have been a new experience in Jewish history. Okay? Uh, we know Aaron was all nervous because the Eagle is all, but I'm sure Aaron was, you know, Rashi and all that. But I'm sure Aaron was also nervous because he was doing something that had never been done before in Jewish history, at least that, that I can think of. And that is to try to operate an institution called the Mishkan, which uh, will, will uh, give every Jew... Let me put it this way. I don't look at your shaved identity. I look at your Klal Yisrael identity. That itself is an amazing uh, uh, fact. Maybe this is the idea behind those who say that the Mishkan wasn't simply a reaction to the Azov, but was part of the uh, plan from the very beginning. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You know, is the Mishkan a Bediyevra? If it's a like the Ramban, for example, says, being a Vyakel. And this is something God told Moses back on Mount Sinai during the 40 days and 40 nights when he's up there. He said, Vasili Mishkan, the Shachantiv. So if you read it that way, then the question becomes, what does God need a Mishkan for? Well, you need one building or one, one institution that is uh, uh, national and not tribal. And uh, usually, you know, all the other things are tribal. Moshe was advised by the Zikna Yisrael, by the elders in the Siam. Each one brings a tribalistic aspect to it. Matter of fact, that's why pretty soon we're going to do carbono, carbon, kesavachas, you know, the Nossis and, and Parshas Nossis. Each one brings the carbon and have the exact same language. Why do you have the exact same language? Tribe is very important. And I'm sure when, even though the Nossi of this tribe brought the same thing as the Nossi of that tribe, they probably had different kavanas. You know what I mean? The Nossi of Ruvain probably had, again, when he brought his carbon for the, for the Mishkans, probably had different kavanas because it couldn't help it coming from a different angle. The same way today. In Jewish life, it's just interesting to me. It's just interesting. We have the equivalent of twelve tribes, and that you have a from world, but they're broken up into shvatim. And if anything, the shvatim becoming more tribalistic all the time. The Lubavitch does its own thing. The Bells does its own thing. The Shi world has has turned into its own tribe, more or less. You know, YU is now its own thing, and so on and so forth. You know, this who the from world is. Uh, and as I say before, the emphasis seems to me anyway. I can only tell you it seems to me. Is more corporatism, you know. Each Hasidic group or each group in general is focusing on developing the 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 the, uh, the company, as opposed to the the whole claw. But uh, this is perhaps, you know, inevitable or or, or simply an integral part of who the Jewish people are. The Ashkenazim and the Sephardim and the Sephardim are not one group either. You know, the Moroccans are one thing and the uh, Iraqis are another thing. As we are, you know, anybody knows. So uh, you know, you can't help but confront this uh, tribalistic side. And then you have the other side, which is, what is in common? You know, what do, what, what do we all do in general? Well, every day there's a carbon brought, carbon tomid, right? There's a carbon brought for the zebra, for the whole Jewish people, you know, in the, in the morning, afternoon. Every day there are other institutions that apply whole claw Yisrael. Where else do you have that? Where else do you have that? Uh, in the biblical Judaism, uh, you have, you know, the, anything that's common is is associated with the Mishkan. Uh, everybody's bringing a carbon Pesach. Everybody. Well, that's it. So, no, that's the side of the Mishkan, you see? And so, what we have in the inauguration of Parsha Shemini is not simply an interesting story about this building and everybody put so much time and effort into building up and Aaron and his brothers, none of it, a view story and all the rest of it. Of course, you have that, but you also have seems to me, uh, the beginning of an attempt 
to provide an institution which is trans-tribal, you know, intra-Jewish. It applies for all Jews, you understand? And what's interesting is that uh, as the story goes on in Vayikra, pretty soon, you know, Basar Taiva got to a point where uh, anybody who wants to uh, uh, eat meat uh, will have to bring, you know, El Pesach Almeid Lo Havio. You know, he'll have to, uh, uh, you know, get a shechted in the in, in the Mishkan, which formally is for the reasons they shouldn't do Avodah but it also brings a commonality because um, I'm just trying to take you to the idea how was life lived by our distant ancestors. Uh, for example, when they were in Egypt, you know, were they all mingled together by the Egyptians? Maybe, maybe not, and we'll never know. But most likely. The Reuben guys worked over here, and the Shimon guys worked over here, and the and the Yisachar and the Zvulun guys worked in different places. And, you know, maybe they're signed differently by tribes. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're mixed together. This is actually a debate in the commentators on the Haggadah when it says, Vayareyu Osuna Mitzrim. This is a Haggadah for, you know, Vayareyu from the Lashon Haftareyu HaKamocha. One of the Vayareyu means could the Egyptians, by mixing everybody together, gave them a common identity. But on the other hand, it could be not. You know, it's, it's just a vort. We'll, we'll never know. Uh, but when you get to Parshishmini and you get to, from now on, the Mishkan is inaugurated as a national institution, so all of a sudden, um, I could live in this side of the, the camp. Um, let's put it this way. Suppose I was, uh, you know, I don't know, from Sheva Dun. Well, I'm located in a certain place in the camp. The guys I hang out with are my tribe. At the most, you hang out with the guys from the next tribe. You don't see people from other tribes over there. Am I right or am I wrong? This is how I understand it. Doesn't Rashi say that with Korach, you know, because, uh, you know, Reuben was located next to Levi or something like that. Uh, you know? In other words, this is how life was lived. We, 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 we don't realize how particularistic it was. Uh, now, right now, as I say these words, you and I happen to be going through a time in which perhaps we have, we have a little taste of this because we're all in the, in the house, you know, uh, uh, restricted by the uh, self-distancing. You know, by the quarantining, uh, so you you know become very tribalistic. You know, the only ones you see are yourself and your your close ones, your loved ones. But if you live in the time in the midbar, uh, I'm just pointing something you probably never thought of. Person crossed the the, the, the desert, forty years, came there to Israel. Usually, Atlanta born, Atlanta bred, and when he died, Atlanta dead. And the guy was living among Yisachar, and he's from Yisachar. And he interacted with other people when he saw her most of the time. And maybe the next tribe that was camped over. And thus he does, you know. And when Moshe Rabbeinu assembled, everybody gave a big speech. Everybody heard it from the midst of their own ranks. And what do you know about the other tribes? And remember, they did not marry each other. Okay? So you really lived a funny existence that 40 years the Jewish people are in their sukkahs and the Anani are covered all the rest of it. Each one doing its own little thing, its own tribalistic thing. Uh, so the one place where you would Lamaisa interact with someone from another tribe, it seems to me, was uh, when you went to the Mishkan. First of all, during the Chumash time, and, and, and then afterwards. Afterwards. You know, those times in which you brought, what shall I say, uh, you know, uh, Karim Pesach or something like that, uh, you know, like Ailey, uh, you know, in, in the, what am I talking about, in the beginning of Shmuel Aleph. You know, when you, when you came with a carbon like that, so mainly you ran across other people from other tribes. You know, or other than that, other than you didn't do so. This is known in the Bible as the Bomos. Can it? Uh, people think that the Icar of the Bomos was, he had a private, uh, you know, uh, uh, little 
uh, altar, and you did your carbonus over there, and you didn't go to the mission. Well, that, of course, is true. But the key element is that there are a bunch of bummos in the tribe of Ephraim, and that's where the Ephraimites hang out. <laughs> you follow? They don't go, they don't go to a bummo in, in Menasha part. And, uh, you know, somebody in, in, in God doesn't go to something in, in Don. Uh, the bummos represent the, the uh, what shall I say, the apotheosis almost of the tribalistic. And then Shlomo Milk built the base of Mason, and they tried to ask the bummos which means they try to get everybody to come on the same page. Do all your components solely in the base of Megish. This was an attempt on the part of Shlomo and his successors to try to get everybody more uh, unified in the sense of, uh, you know, everybody at least worshipping in the same place. Didn't work. Didn't work. Because that's a very, very tricky business. And to try to do it from top down and kind of force people is the usual preferred way. And it, and it only provokes, um, what's the right word, resentment. Uh, history is full of examples, including the United States, in which the centralizing power, try, instead of nudging, instead tries to push the others into a central direction. And it usually provokes a, a counter uh, um, response, you know, counter emotion. I would say that's at the very heart of American bitter politics during my lifetime. You know that the you know the left and the right. You know the the left wants to push everything this way, and the right re- resents it very very much in social matters. And, you know, people just sit down and hate. You understand? They hate. Uh, that's why Trump got elected anyway. So, uh, you, to, to build a Mishkan, Osli Migdash, with Shachanti Besocham, turns out that the Besocham means all on the same page. And that's something we don't usually think of, and that's uh, very hard to, to put together. Moshe Rabbeinu is a great statesman, and as far as I can see, never tries to force uh, you know, everybody into w- one way. He's always trying to persuade, to scream, to argue, not, try- not trying to force. But it's uh, very hard. So he does, so let's put it this way, they all do cross the Red Sea, they all go in dis- different columns, but at least he gets them going the same direction. He does get them all to go to follow the, the Ananim and head eventually towards Israel, although there was a 40-year break, I get it. They do eventually get there, but they never work out this business I'm talking about today. Now, what's really remarkable is, here we are living in the year 2020, the fundamental existential problem of the state of Israel, most Italian observers would say, is the tribalism. It's not the Shvatim of yesteryear, it's the tribalism of today. You've got, for example, you know, you've got the Haredim and the Chilonim and the Arabs and this and that and the other. There's people speaking in sectoralism. In other words, the, the, the danger for Israel is the, that the different, sharply different identities experienced by different tribes can constitute a centrifugal force which could pull apart the state even besides the Arab threat, you know, even besides the Iranian threat. So, um, what I just described in the desert is what's happening today, for example, in Israel and in America, to be honest. So, just like somebody lived in the area of Reuben and didn't interact with anybody else, somebody could be a firm Jew and live in a Yerushalayim but anybody could not interact with anybody else. But it goes the other way also. Somebody could be real Chilini, live a place in Herzliya or someplace like that, and never interact with anybody else. You understand? I mean, you know, this is the way the the life is, and the government in Israel is, uh, you know, uh, trying to figure out how do you do this because they're well aware if you try to force it, it provokes a counter reaction. And so, how do you uh, put it all together to get everybody in the same page? In which we say, listen, you're from, you're not from, you're this, you're that, but let's all pull in the same direction for common goals. Uh, very hard, and nothing has uh, 
has brought this out. We all know this, but nothing is, has brought this out in public square as much as the corona. Because of what's the whole argument? You know, this group is not listening to the regulations, and that group is not listening to regulations. And the bottom line is, if they didn't get Rukhaim Kanyeski and people like that to tell everybody to stay inside, they wouldn't listen inside, because who cares what the government says, you know? And the Arabs do their thing, the Chilean do their thing. It's, a, it's, it's a very hard to create a dialogue when you're coming from uh, radically different, um, uh, what shall I say, radically different perspectives as to what constitutes a genuine authority, genuine meaning. Uh, now, the Mishkan represents the antithesis of that and the attempt to try to get everybody to have the same meaning, at least on a fundamental basis. But it turns out the Mishkan is a very uh, a difficult business. Now, uh, unfortunately, people are petty. And uh, as I'm sure I mentioned last year, it's not possible that I didn't talk about this before. That uh, Parsha Shemit is always a famous Kliyakar, which is really Ben Mechaya. So many years ago, it made a sense, you know, that uh, Moshe, I'm sure I said this already, but you know, that what Aaron was worried about was the fact that God says, I want you to take an eagle for a, for a chatas. Um, because all Jewish people were saying, oh, Aaron's going to be a Kohen Gadol, and he's the one to make himself. And Aaron was very uh, uh, embarrassed by this. And then the other hand, the Bnei Israel are told in the beginning of Parsha Shemit to go take. A uh, eagle for is that what do you say? Uh, you should take an eagle for a uh, ola. And uh, there's a Gwaldika who points out that um, God was really uh, sticking it to both of them because uh, when he told Aaron to take a eagle for a chatas, what he's really saying is, what's the idea of a chatas? A chatas for a shogig. Shogun means you did do it, but you didn't have the kavana to do it. Otherwise, it'd be amazing. On the other hand, when you bring carbon ola, ola is for bad machshavas because carbon ola, you know, it's not for a, a sin per se. It's a voluntary. So it's got to be for bad machshavas. And basically, the kliyakar says God was telling the Jewish people, "You're you're uh, uh, criticizing Aaron, saying lashon about Aaron. You believed in it. You should bring a carbon ola because you had bad machshavas. You believed in it goes up, Aaron." He just did it. He made it, but he didn't believe in it. You understand? Uh, like I said, I'm sure I talked before. But what strikes us is, here they have the dedication of Mishkan, and they should be thinking about these federal versus state issues, tribal issues versus united issues. You know that God wants, above all else, that they should all be one group and somehow combine and unite. And instead, everybody's worrying about who is the responsible for the Eagle itself. And that was a sublime moment was, uh, d- you know, um, w- uh, what's the right word, was uh, damaged by the pettiness of everybody saying who's responsible for the sin, when the truth of the matter is they themselves are responsible for the sin. So, if this is true, which I think it is, it shows you a, a wonderful example of how the Torah knows exactly the human psychology and uh, doesn't, uh, you know, beat around the bush. And uh, it points to issues that affect us even, even today. Isn't that right? Uh, and I think this uh, notion of the Mishkan and later the base of Migdash as an attempt to centralize, to bring everybody on the same page, um, is, is what lies at the very heart of it being an ideal, although I don't think we usually think of it that way. We usually focus, because we live now in an Orthodox age, we, or, you know, on, on the Ben Onam La Mokom side, oh, look how close I can get to God through all this. But it, which is true, of course, but I think a major part, perhaps the major part, was the fact that represents an attempt to get all Jews literally on the same page. Imagine if we had, you know, uh, one uh, shoal 
that everybody uh, davened in, uh, you know what I'm saying, you know, in, 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 in agreed upon the, the Nusach or something like that. Not going to happen, you know. We're still, we're, we're much more comfortable on a tribalism, sadly or not. Anyway, that's an idea which I propose. And uh, with that, we go into Parsha Shmini and now the six weeks for the sphere. Maybe I'll talk about that later in the week. Meanwhile, I wish you a, a good year and a, a good Shabbos coming up. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.